Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Welcome to another episode of the Traveling Image Makers Podcast. And this time, it will just be me, Ugo Che, your host, and Ralph Velasco, our usual co-host, on the other side, connecting with us from uh, Portugal. Uh, Oporto, is that where you are now, Ralph? I am. I'm in uh, Oporto, Portugal. Beautiful, beautiful place. Never been here before. And so, doing a few tourist things, although... That's not why I'm here to be a tourist, but uh, I am uh, getting around and shooting a little bit, which I haven't done a whole lot of lately. So it's kind of fun to get back into it. How is your tour organizer training uh, coming along? I think you are there working on it a little bit, maybe. I am. I'm, I'm putting together that program right now, and it's uh, it's going very well. I'm, I'm really excited about it. I think uh, it's going to provide some great information for people to help them to step-by-step uh, step learn how to organize and lead their own trips. That's that's the idea behind it. And as for me, I'm home. I just returned from a short trip to the south of France with the family, just uh, relaxing, uh, taking some uh, out of season swims in the in the Mediterranean. Water was pretty cold, but it was uh, amazing that we could actually swim in the sea uh, mid April. <laughs> so great weather, great food. Uh, love the region. So we'll talk about the south of France uh, uh, a little bit in a while. But I would like to introduce what is going to be the the topic of this uh, this chat that we are having today, and uh, because I. Uh, I recently jumped on uh, the bandwagon of uh, drones, if you will, and I got myself uh, what is technically called uh, an unmanned aerial vehicle or unmanned aerial system, but you can call it a drone, you can call it a quadcopter. So I'm having fun with that. Uh, the one I got is the DJI Mavic Pro, which is great because it offers... Uh, and I mentioned combination, in my opinion, of portability, performance, uh, and image quality at the same time. How did you decide on the, the DJI Mavic Pro from all well, the other options that are out there? Well, as I said, it's, uh, it's mostly the portability. Uh, it's a very, it's a foldable drone. So it falls down to, to almost nothing. You can, uh, it's smaller and lighter than a DSLR with a zoom lens with an average zoom lens, uh, you can throw it in your backpack and, and just go. So very, very portable. And at the same time, it offers uh, uh, pretty good image quality, I would say. I think we should point out that I am not a drone photographer. So I'm going to be asking you a lot of questions that are that I'm just interested in as a non-drone photographer, someone who would would maybe like to get into this because uh, so I may be asking some very basic questions, but I think our listeners who aren't drone photographers probably be interested as well. Absolutely, go ahead. Now I know a lot of these copters come with their own backpacks. Is this one that you would just throw into your own already, you know, camera bag kind of thing? Is it that small? You can get a 
a backpack that is that is uh, or rather a bag that is uh, specifically designed for it and it holds the drone uh, maybe a couple of extra batteries the remote controller and so on but i just uh, uh have a backpack that i use sometimes i put my camera in it it's got a it's, it's like a small camera bag with those uh, movable uh, separators with velcro that you can move around so if i use it for the camera i will set them in a in a certain position if i use it for the drone i will uh, organize uh, the dividers a little bit differently but on that back that backpack it's still pretty small i can fit the drone i have two extra batteries i have uh, uh, the remote controller i have the car charger uh, a set of filters a few other accessories and still the backpack is still half empty so i can even wow put a camera in there like my mirrorless camera with zoom or even another lens it's uh it's really really compact so i i know at one time there was talk about these drones that we're going to be able to put your own camera onto them but this is one that comes with its own camera yeah so some models you can mount uh, things like um, gopro mm. uh, this one comes with its own camera yeah uh, it's uh it's a camera, it's a gimbal mounted, so it's stabilized and it's optimized for this specific model. So it's uh, uh, everything in one package. So you're ready to fly the moment you get it. That's uh, really cool. So what are some of the reasons that attracted you to drone photography? Why did you, why did you start this? So one of the, the reasons was that, uh, of course, with a drone, you can go where you, you previously couldn't. You can fly high and get a different perspective on, uh, on things, on scenarios, on landscapes, wherever. So uh, that was something that was already available to some people. Uh, I mean, you could always uh, rent a helicopter with a pilot <laughs> and let it fly you over the Grand Canyon or any other place where uh, where you can find a helicopter but it's it's really expensive i mean I, i'm not uh up to date with current prices but for a one hour flight would be at least several hundred dollars if not thousands and uh, you need to arrange in advance and you need to find a location where there are helicopters flying and so, you don't have stability on those or gimbals. Yeah, you don't have gimbals and so on. Uh, you need image stabilization, uh, fast shutter speed, high ISOs, and vi- lots of vibrations and so on. And with yep. these uh, with these things here, you can you can go everywhere, essentially everywhere. As we will see, there are some limitations. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I already mentioned it's uh, it's highly portable. At least the Mavic Pro is highly portable. Others can be a bit more cumbersome to carry around, and less. But not least, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's like a toy for grown-ups. It's uh, the excitement of flying in itself. It's a great thing. And it combines uh, stills. Uh, I'm mostly interested in stills at this point, but it's also great for video. And I'm not a video shooter by any means. I'm learning my ropes. I'm learning to how to operate a moving camera. It's a whole new world. I don't have anything good to share yet, but I'm learning. So that's uh, that's another that's another reason to to get a drone. Interesting, because uh, you know when I think of drone photography, I think of video. Mm-hmm. But I've seen the shots that you've been putting up, and I'm sure you're going to put some up in the show notes and uh, you know on the on the the episode's web page because people are going to want to see what you've created. 
But uh, I think of the the wonderful video that people are getting, you know, shooting down a river or, or you know, glaciers or places, obviously, that people can't get to. Uh, but, yeah, then there's the still aspect, too, where you can just get these very high, unusual perspectives. Yeah, the, the difficulty with video, if you're not into it, is uh, learning how to do proper camera movement. I mean, if you don't, don't do that properly your videos will be boring and it's a it's a whole new art for me to learn i know yep. how to compose how to properly light a photograph how to get the best perspective use uh, composition proportion leading lines whatever i'm starting from scratch with video so that, that's a lot to learn there but yeah stills are great one might might wonder how good is image quality on those uh, uh, on those drones. And I would say it's pretty darn good. I mean, we're talking here with the Mavic Pro, we're talking a 12 megapixel still camera with um, quite a small sensor. So you got to be careful, but it's better than most smartphones. Uh, so it it's pretty good for online use. It's perfect. It's... Uh, good enough for print unless you're you want to print really large and as we will see there are ways to overcome some of those limitations so uh, but that that's just the starting point i mean we're starting to see with consumer drones like the mavic pro which is about 1200 dollars, so it's relatively affordable we're starting to see the option to get great image quality or at least decent image quality but if you want to Go up one step. The newly released Phantom 4 Pro has got a 20 megapixel uh, camera with a one inch sensor, which is way better than most compact cameras. Then you can go, you, you lose a bit of portability and you spend a little bit more money. And you want to go professional, you can use the Inspire 2 with the Zenmuse X5S camera which has a micro four thirds inch sensor um, with, uh, I don't know how many megapixels it's got. So it's really professional. We're going into really professional quality images uh, if you want to spend the money and do not what mind. What kind of money are you talking? Uh, More or less. Well, it depends on the configuration and so on, but I think for the Phantom 4 Pro will still below $2,000. Starting at about three thousand, and then depending on the type of the camera, you can go up to five or seven thousand, probably with the Inspire Two. So it's expensive, but for a professional tool, it's. Uh, I mean, you can buy what uh, Nikon D five or uh, what's the top of the line Nikon or Canon cameras. They do cost six or seven thousand dollars without lenses. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, that's not bad. Yeah. So what about, uh, you'd mentioned, you know, there's ways to maximize image quality. Talk to us about that. So, well, I just started, so I'm still learning, but this is some of the, the, the things that I learned that I would like to, to point out to, to recommend. Um, first of all, uh, shoot RAW. Uh, the Mavic, all the, all the DJI drones, they shoot RAW. Uh, they use the DNG, the Adobe DNG format. So they're compatible with Adobe Camera Raw and pretty much every software on the market. So there is no reason not to shoot Raw unless, well, you can always shoot JPEG, of course. But uh, you, we know, just like with uh, uh, traditional cameras, you get the most of flexibility shooting Raw. 
second, uh, with the Mavic, I already said the sensor is quite small, uh, so it doesn't it doesn't have a great um, performances with respect to low light and noise. So better shoot at the base ISO of 100. 200, 400, you start getting noise, especially if you underexpose uh, and you then you open up the shadows, you will get a lot of noise. So try to use 100 ISO. And, and here's the thing. You can shoot a few seconds. Uh, you can have your shutter speed go into the realm of seconds because the drone is very stable and it has this gimbal-mounted camera. It's like having a tripod in the sky. So there is no reason to use a fast shutter speed and a high ISO unless it's very, very dark. You can go in into uh, the blue hour with uh, marginal light and say take a two-second shot at ISO 100. That, that just amazes me that you can go into the seconds with something that's floating in the air and it's obviously taking into account wind and its vibration and everything else that's it's amazing that's amazing yeah that's incredible uh, the other thing is uh keep an eye on your histogram you can get a histogram on the display and use your iphone or a tablet as a display and you well, get that was my question is what are you using to control this device uh, is it your own iphone a it's, tablet yes a it, uh, it has its own remote controller onto which you mount and attach uh, a smartphone or a tablet I'm currently okay. using iPhone 6S for this. Uh, what I'm about non-iOS users? Does oh, it work yeah. with all smartphones? Yeah, recently powerful Android devices. I mean, it requires a little bit of horsepower. But things like the Samsung Galaxy 6, 7, those kind of high-end smartphones, they work pretty well. I'm actually planning of getting an old uh, one of those... Uh, uh, iPad 2 Mini, which have been discontinued, but you can still find them on the market for like two or three hundred dollars, and just use that. It's a, a little bit of a larger screen, which is easier to to see. Now, could you, you use an iPad One Mini? Because I have one of those mm -hmm. as a secondary device. No, I think that's not powerful enough. I think ah, you need at least an <laughs> iPad 2 Mini. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, and use that as your monitor. Uh, but that's not a reliable, I mean, it's like the, the back LCD of a camera. You typically would not recommend people to use that to check exposure. This is even more the case with uh, with an iPhone screen or a phone screen or a tablet screen. So keep an eye on the histogram at all times to, to check the correct exposure. But if you still have, have problems, uh, second recommendation is to bracket, always bracket. With Mavic, you can bracket up to three or five shots. There is no reason not to bracket. Uh, it's memory is cheap. Five sticks. Devil's Good. advocate. Now you got to look through five or three times the amount of photographs that you did originally. Yeah. To me, that's I, yeah. I mean, that's a lot. That can be a lot, depending yeah. on how much you're shooting. Well, I'm not shooting uh, when I'm flying. I'm not shooting as much as when I'm using right. A, a camera sure. and I cannot just I need to go up in the air first <laughs> then I need okay. to to move around find a good angle and so on a good subject and then shoot I would with the camera in my hand I would shoot much more so that's right. that's not an issue okay. um, the other thing is if 12 megapixels are not enough too few 
for say making a big print you can always shoot panoramas it's very easy uh, the drone can move in very you can control the rotation of the drone or the tilt of the gimbal and so you can shoot uh, single row panoramas or even vertical panoramas or multi-row panoramas very easily you just move a little bit around click move a little bit click move a little bit click again it's like having a tripod and then you rotate the tripod head only you're rotating the drone in the sky. So I do a lot of panoramas now. Uh, I can always, I can also put the camera into portrait mode to get more vertical resolution and shoot a wide panorama with more megapixels. I can easily go to 20, 30, 40 megapixels. With, uh, it's, uh, it's very easy to do. So I'm, I'm really amazed. And I... Uh, I don't use any apps on the phone. You, there are some apps which will let you shoot uh, stitch panels on the phone. I usually, when I land, take my the memory card of the drone, uh, put it into my computer, use Lightroom to, to stitch panels. It's exactly the same workflow that I use with my mirrorless camera. Only um, um, I put it up in the sky. That's, uh, that's the difference. <laughs> and is it using SD cards? It's using micro SD cards. Micro SD, okay. So I've got an adapter. I've got a card SD card reader in my computer. I just plug it in and, and go. No, no difference in workflow really from what I'm used to. So you're saying that because um, I imagine that you could pre-program it to automatically do some sort of a a panoramic stitch pattern, you know, but you're saying you'd actually need to move the drone to take like you would on a, uh, a camera on a tripod. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You would, okay. I mean, there are some apps. I don't sure. think the DJI, the DJI app, the official one does that, but there are some other apps on the market, like third party, which will automate the panorama taking and stitching and it will just store uh, JPEG stitched panel on your phone ready to use. If you want to do that, you want to do a quick share without even landing the drone, you can of course do that. Cool. So we are travel photographers. Talk to us about what it's like to travel with a drone. Uh, I would say it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> now, regulations vary from country to country. And they range from the free-for-all to the completely draconian. Uh, don't even think, at least I've been told to, don't even think of going into places like Morocco or Cuba. And you know you love those places and you go there <laughs> frequently. And it's, yeah. uh, I heard stories. Uh, people getting their drones confiscated uh, at customs when landing. You land in... And what, is, what does that mean? You've, you've lost it? You can't like get it if you come back to that well, airport you at the end of your be, trip? You, you should be able to get it back. They give you um, like a form. They sign okay. it at the customs and then good luck okay. with actually getting it back from right. the Moroccan <laughs> customs. Uh, as long as you fly back from the same airport. I yeah. know some people had to complain really loudly about where is my drone? Here's your piece of paper. Please give it back to me now. I'm flying out of Morocco, and I had all kinds of excuses. I mm -hmm. took, quite, took quite some effort to, to get it back. So I would advise nowadays not to fly to those countries. I heard Cuba is better. They would probably take it from you, but give it back to you when you fly back. Uh, other, I mean, Switzerland is crazy. It's uh, 
you think that Swiss, the Swiss people are very tight. That's a bit of, of myth. But actually, they're very liberal when it comes to flying. As mm. long as you don't fly over crowded places and you keep line of sight, you can fly everywhere. You can fly wow. over cities, so you can fly over national parks and so on. So I live like uh, one hour across the border from Switzerland. So I'm already planning several trips there just to take advantage of a more of a liberal uh, regulation. But I mean, there's no, uh, you, you need to inform yourself. You need to get up to speed with the local laws and regulations and so on, and maybe ask some locals. Uh, as I said before, I just returned from France. I was staying there for a few days near the city of Toulon in the south of France. And Toulon is host to the largest naval base of the French Navy in the Mediterranean. And so the whole area around it uh, is basically off limits. There is a civil civilian airport nearby. And the highlight of our trip was visiting the national park of Le Calanque near Marseille. And that being a national park is completely off limits. So I didn't even bother bringing a drone with me. I knew that if, if I had flown it, I would have risked uh, fines or confiscation or whatever. So I just didn't, which is a bit of a pity because the area was just gorgeous. So uh, I know I will be bringing my uh, drone to the US in June. I'm, I read about the regulations, what the FAA asks and so on but i've got friends there they've got drones they fly them regularly i will be flying with them so i know i will be safe and following uh, compliant with regulations and everything that's uh, that's that's about it well well speaking of regulations is there some central location of resources for finding this information out or is it just you know, Googling it and hoping for the best, because I would think that there's an association that has, you know, aggregated all this information to make it easy on people that are flying drones because it's becoming so big. There's a list of websites. I don't have the URL off the top of my head, but we will put a link in the, in the show notes, which provides links to all of the national regulations. But okay. there it's, um, I mean, it's just, typically links to those regulations, which are not always in English. Like yeah. you, you want to come to fly in Italy. Okay, there is a, an Italian regulations, which has been translated to English, but the English translation is what they call a courtesy translation. The normative one is the Italian one. <laughs> so yeah, what do you do? You, you Google, that's one thing. There are forums, uh, several forums around that you can use. What I do, I am a member of... Uh, several uh, groups on Facebook and other uh, forums and so on. And if I want to fly to a place, like I'm flying to Belgium in a couple of weeks, I will ask online, said, anybody here from Belgium? What are the rules there? What what should I expect? What what should I do? What should, I, should I register my drone before flying? What can I do? Can I fly in cities? Uh, what are the practices there? And so on. That's just just ask people; they will typically help you. That, of course, that, yeah. That seems pretty clunky, but I've got to think that over time, that uh, someone's going to put this information in one place and make it that much more easier for people. Because, yeah, I, I think it's got to happen. Yeah, the thing is that uh, it's uh, every country has its own rules, and they change frequently. As I heard about Canada, 
they had basically no rules and now they uh, introduced uh, a set of rules that is very strict. So if you're, you also need to take care to check that your information is up to date. What are some sorts of uh, subjects that you're photographing? You know, what, what interests you? What are, you know, things that people can have an idea for photographing with these drones? Oh, uh, well, this, uh, subjects are, are endless. I mean, the, the list of possibilities is endless. Uh, what I'm, uh, I'm, doing a, I'm doing a lot of, uh, of shooting in the area around where I live uh, as of recent. One, because it's convenient. I mean, I can just, uh, uh, when the sun is uh, starting to get low in the sky late afternoon, I can uh, uh, hop into my car, get the drone in the bag, drive one hour or even less to the countryside around here. We've got some beautiful hills uh, with vineyards and castles and churches on top of hills and so on. It's really beautiful. Just wait for the right light. And uh, also I have a feeling that it's uh, there's going to be a market for this, uh, especially a local market. So I'm planning to create like a, a portfolio of shoots from the local area which has a mix of nature and history. I mean, I live in Italy, uh, lots of history, medieval castles, those kind of things. Uh, there are, some of them are inaccessible are on top of hills. Uh, get them from the air. It's uh, with the right light. It's amazing. You got just some great shots. So that, that's what I'm focusing on mostly at the moment. Hoping there is a, there's going to be a local market for this because, yeah, you can get lots of, uh, of images of the area everywhere on postcards or calendars and exhibitions and so on, but very few from the sky. So I have hopes that it can uh, interest some people. Oh, so you're thinking about selling your, your work maybe to tourist offices or sites that could use a different perspective on postcards and so talk to us about the learning curve of using a drone. I mean, how long did it take you to get up to speed? Do you feel that you're even up to speed now? I'm sure you're always learning, but for you to feel comfortable with this $1,200 device in the air that you're not going to lose it, drop it, get it caught in a tree. I mean, talk to us about that. So first of all, flying is very easy. If you don't do something stupid, you try to follow the... The instructions, it's, it's really easy. I mean, this thing basically flies itself. As long as you have good GPS signal. You try to fly where there is no GPS signal and you need to be a much more careful because you need to, to control it. I mean, it has features like return to home. You cannot see it anymore. And you just click on return to home button and it will land just right at your feet where it took off from. So it's very easy to get up in the air. It's easy to maneuver, to, to go around as long as there is good GPS. Excuse me, before you move on, talk to us about, you know, the requirements of GPS. Do you need Wi-Fi? Does it have its own, you know, Wi-Fi connection? How does that work? No, it's, the got, technical its, own, part of it? uh, it's got its own uh, proprietary communication uh, protocol which uses the 2.4 gigahertz band, but it's not Wi-Fi. So it's, uh, it has much longer range than Wi-Fi. You can fly out to five kilometers at least. Wow. Okay. And still keep signal. If you're in the open, you have no interference and so on. 
And that's not line of sight. I mean, it could be no. over the horizon, it, over the other yeah. side of a hill or something. It, it could be, I mean, theoretically line of sight if it's in the open, but you cannot see it if it's five kilometers away. It's just too small. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, could it be behind a building or on the other side of a hill it, it could and be. still it, have that signal? Uh, regulations, laws in most countries and all of Europe and the US and everywhere mandate that you should always keep line of sight unless you have permission to fly without line of sight. For that, you need to require special permission and uh, patents and, and whatever. Um, but for uh, amateur use, recreational use, you need to keep line of sight. Uh, maximum distance here in Italy is 200 meters, uh, which is looks like it's not a lot, but it's it's great for most, uh, most shots. Mm. Then, uh, yeah, uh, taking photos, as I said, I learned quickly how to make the best of the um, camera uh, features and quality. Flying, uh, shooting video is a whole another art, as I was saying. I need to learn that. I'm completely new to that. Um, so flying is easy. Still, I've got the butterflies in my stomach if it's flying high or a few hundred meters away and it's hard to see and i say okay will it come back where is it now did i lose it <laughs> okay you can still what it's staying on the on the video but i mean you still get that feeling that well i think that will go away with with practice and experience so it's more like uh, something new and uh potentially it could fall out of the sky you never know right so it doesn't but you always get that feeling, so that that takes some time to to lose it, probably. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, you've got this twelve hundred dollar or more device up in the air, yeah. and, and you're just hoping that it comes back. So just don't don't fly into trees. I mean, okay, I've yeah. got obstacle avoidance, but the the Mavic only has uh front facing sensors for obstacle avoidance avoidance if you're flying backwards or sideways one you have no sensors and two you have no view of what it is uh, you, you only see forward right so you fly backwards make sure that it's in the open air there are no obstacles tall trees or buildings around because you will not be able to <laughs> to see where it's heading so is there any set of rules of, or sort of etiquette when it comes to drone photography? I mean, at one time, wasn't there talk about people having to have their pilot's license to be able to fly drones? What happened to that? Uh, that depends on, uh, again, country uh, regulations and so on. I can speak for Italy here. Uh, you don't need a license for uh, recreational use, uh, which means you cannot sell your photos. And since I'm thinking of selling them eventually, I will need mm. to get a license from the local okay. civil aviation authority. Which That's is good information. ENAC here in Italy. I think in, in the US you have similar um, uh, rules. Like if you're flying recreational, you don't need a, a license. If you want to fly commercially, then you need a license. That's okay. That's that's good information. Pretty much uh, the 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 general principle that applies pretty much everywhere. I've actually got my pilot's license um, and I was, you know, wondering how that would really 
fold into, you know, drone photography, I guess, you know, there's certainly rules of the air that are good to know, but, um, yeah, I, I could never under, quite understand why they would require people to have a pilot's license to fly a drone. No idea. <laughs> very, very different. Um, I think I was telling you the story offline about when I was photographing a, a beautiful sunset in Kep, Cambodia a while back. And I was, uh, it was, you know, around blue hour sunset and getting some really nice slow shutter speed shots or so I thought I was, um, you know, I'm on my tripod and there was a couple drone photographers right next to me. They knew I was there. And they were flying their drones out into the sea and into the sunset. And, of course, those, you know, they've got little indicator lights on them and stuff. So all my shots had these long streaks of colored lights in them, and they were all ruined. Mm -hmm. So I've got to think that there's some sort of uh, – that there should be some sort of etiquette, some consideration for other people and other photographers when it comes to that because I thought it was really inconsiderate. They knew I was there. And, you know, as drone photographers, I've got to think that they've got a, a handle on, you know, regular photography and, and knew that that would be happening. And uh, I didn't think it was really cool. Um, no, yeah, so, I'm sure. I mean, you're right. Uh, that, uh, but that that applies to to everything, not just drones. I mean, I could I had a situation where I was taking uh, long exposures and so on, and I got people uh, step in front of my camera and take a photo of a distant object with flash, which is completely useless, but it just ruined my my shots and so on. It's uh, uh, it's probably easier with drones. You can just fly in front of people. Uh, and uh, don't even have to put yourself in front of people, which uh, maybe tends to uh, have some somebody think they can get away with that easier. But uh, yeah, um, you can always fly higher. I mean, in that situation, if I really wanted to fly, I could fly 10 meters high above those people or maybe just maybe a little bit to the side or not, not just fly on top of their heads. You never know. That's never recommended. But fly in the vicinity. You can fly higher. There is no reason to fly low in front of somebody who has a camera, especially in a situation like there where you know there will be many photographers trying to get a, a great shot and possibly uh, they, they need their shot not to be ruined. So it's just, yeah, it's just inconsiderate and... You don't even have to fight. I mean, you have a drone. You can fly high in the sky. You can put your tripod 20 meters high in the sky. There is no no reason at all. It's even easier to to avoid annoying other people. So why not? I mean, yeah. There should be some, some etiquette, but it's uh, it's not written anywhere. Like there is no written etiquette or rules that say you should not go in front of other people with your flash and, uh, and ruin their shot, even if you are just standing on the ground. So... Yeah, I, I suppose it's, you know, I'm not trying to, it, it was just that particular situation that, you know, really that got me. I mean, and then you've got those guys in every square in the world with those little um, mm -hmm. lighted things that they're flipping up into the air <laughs> and trying to, you know, they come down like a helicopter. 
Oh, that irritates me too, those guys. And they ruin every long exposure shot that you get in those kinds of places, and they're everywhere. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm not just trying to single out drone photographers. Um, you know, the other thing I was going to point out is that, uh, you know, they, they can be loud, some of them. And so I've been in some, you know, really nice places, very peaceful, um, you know, squares or parks. And then you've just got this hum mm -hmm. overhead that is just, you know, very irritating. But again, you know, there's garbage trucks and all kinds of, you know, things that could be happening. It's not just drone photographers that are doing that. But I just think in any situation, it's good to be considerate of your fellow photographers and your fellow citizens, you know. Yeah, one thing is I don't fly over crowded areas. Uh, there's, there are laws against that in most countries, mm. including Switzerland. Um of course, then you fly over a park where there is two or three people. Those two or three people might be annoyed by the noise. Mm -hmm. And again, that, that park might be just, you, you could fly, I don't know, in London's Hyde Park. Uh, assuming it is legal, I'm not sure it is, but let's, let's say it's legal. Or Central Park in New York. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you're in Central Park. Everywhere in Central Park, you can hear, even in the middle of the park, you can hear the traffic. Yeah. Right? And nobody yeah. is annoyed by the traffic, at least nobody... Because the people are used to it. It's just like a yeah. background hum that people who live in the city are used to and they just don't notice anymore. Yeah. But you fly a drone and even if it's uh, high in the sky so the noise level is lower, people are not used to it. So maybe they tend to notice it more. But yeah, you, ju you just yeah. need to, to be considerate. Another thing is flying over natural areas. And that is one, one of the reasons why it's, it's not allowed to fly over uh, national parks and wilderness and wildlife areas because the noise might disturb the wildlife. You get uh, animals and birds and so on. They might be annoyed by the noise and so on and just uh, uh, be stressed by it. So just, just don't do it. Yeah, or, I know it would be nice to fly over, uh, I don't know, uh, a bear with cubs in, <laughs> in a national get park. Right in Yellowstone, yeah. whatever, just uh, that that's not a good thing to do. That's not, uh, you should not do it. So don't annoy the, the animals, but it's okay to annoy the people. Okay. Oh, no, uh, I mean, they're, they're all animals. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's about what we're saying. Yeah, yeah this this is great. I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed this. This is something that I um, am, you know, totally naive to and uh, have thought about. Uh, I, I just can't imagine having to travel with something else, uh, although I think I'd probably be surprised and impressed by the small size package of these things. Um, I, I need to, to, to look into it because, like you say, if it's smaller than a DSLR with a, a lens, shoot, I, you know, I, I could fit that. Uh, I'm sure I can make room for that. Who needs underwear, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so uh, this, this has been very enlightening for me, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners. Uh, looking forward to seeing more of your photography. Make sure that you keep sharing it and uh, look at, uh, looking on the show notes. Oh, and maybe we can provide some links to some of those groups that you were talking about and people can get more information. Yep, sure. We'll put the links in the show notes. So if people are thinking of uh, – I, I did quite a, a bit of – looking around into those groups even before getting the drone just to see what people were getting it what problems people they were having what kind of help you could get online just 
if you're thinking of getting a drone, join a group might be one which is dedicated to general uh, drone flying or photography or specific to the model that you think you you want to get. Just lurk around for a bit, ask questions. Uh, that's, that's how it works. It will help you uh, make up your mind and know what to expect. And if you're deciding about getting a drone, are there places to go like DP Review and other websites where you can sort of compare models and just you know choose what you're looking for? Do you know that? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, I don't have any uh, site off the top of the my mind my mind that is dedicated to like drone reviews and so on. So just I just went to those groups, typically Facebook groups, and somebody would once in a while post. Uh, a link to a review. There's a lot of material on YouTube. You know, drones are used a lot by video makers. Yeah. And those people will typically congregate or have channels on YouTube. I found tons of tutorials. Even before getting my drone, I at least learned how to how to fly it, how to set it up, best settings, uh, cinematic moves for the camera and stuff like that. I had already watched a ton of YouTube videos. So go to YouTube. Just do a search. You will find a lot of stuff there. Great. All right. So what else do you have coming up uh, in the near future, Ugo? Uh, yes. As I've said, I'm going to do a short trip to Belgium at the end of this month. Uh, and then planning some, uh, some other trips. Uh, nothing certain so far. Um, oh, I'll just be doing a couple of photo walks uh, with my friend Trey Radcliffe. I just want to give out a little bit of shout out to him. He's doing a, a tour of European cities. Uh, he's coming to, what's that, um, Lisbon, which is close to you, then Barcelona, Paris, London, Amsterdam, Milan, Berlin, Vienna, Budapest, and Moscow. So I'll oh. be there in Milan, and uh, that's the May 5, May 5th. Cinco de Mayo, <laughs> and May 20 in Berlin. So if you well, want to meet up, if you're around those cities, just come, we'll meet, have a chat, uh, shoot together. It's free, right? It's, uh, these are free photo walks, yeah. So definitely wow. look them up. We'll put links to those in the show notes. So these are my next uh, trips, even though Milan is just around the corner for me. So <laughs> that's, that's not a trip. What about you? You're staying in Portugal for a, for a little, little bit more, and then what? Yeah, so I was in Israel for about a week, and then I was in Spain for about three weeks, and now I'm in Porto, Portugal, and I was just going to stay for maybe a week, but I've extended my stay another four or five days because I'm really enjoying the town. Uh, next stop's going to be Lisboa, and then from there, I've got my Morocco trip in uh, early, mid-May, and then I've got a Baltics trip. And so a few spots left on that if anyone's interested in getting on last minute. Uh, it's Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia, the optional extension to Helsinki. But so, uh, looking forward to, to staying in Europe for a while. So where can people find more? Here for about two and a half months. Yeah. Where can people find more about your trips, your workshops? Well, you don't yes, call them workshops, right? I don't call them <laughs> workshops. I call them cultural tours with a focus on photography. So they're not a workshop. They're, I don't even call them photo tours. So photography is a part of our trips, but it's also about the food and the culture and the, the people. And 
and all that. But uh, people can go to photoenrichment.com, look for tours, and pretty much get every uh, everything you need to know there. And then there's also uh, tourorganizertraining.com. People can register there to get more information about that for when that is released. Okay, and as for me, as usual, you can find uh, everything about me at ucphoto.me. And, uh, yep, that's about it. So before we wrap this up, I would just like to, again, ask people, our uh, listeners, if uh, they would like to leave us a review on iTunes, that would be very much appreciated. Just go to ttim.photo forward slash iTunes and... uh, uh, that will bring you straight to iTunes where you can leave us a review or share this episode or the website with your friends and followers. I think this will one uh, is going to go live at ttim.photo forward slash 73. That's 73. And uh, again, ttim.photo, if you want to share the whole website, you will find their whole repertoire of our past episodes. And uh, subscribe on iTunes, uh, Google Play, and all the other different apps where you can listen to our podcast so with that uh, uh, it's been great to talk to you again and uh, looking forward to our next episode uh, next week thanks everyone bye